Good morning. What a treat. What a treat to be doing this on my birthday. Just in case, in case those listening online didn't know, it is my birthday. Uh, you, you're very welcome to our summer teaching series. We begin to, today, if, if you missed Andrew's setting up of, of this season last week, do, do hark back to it. It's online. Well, actually, I don't know if it is, but it should be. Uh, asking the question, are we maturing into a missional movement or moldy cheese? Are we being radical in our reaching people? Have we been so captured by Jesus that people notice and make a difference? So our sermon series is called Encountering Jesus. So we're going to be exploring through the Gospels over the next probably three months, um, different uh, moments where people encounter Jesus, and hopefully gleaning from that uh, some principles for how we can engage with, uh, with people in our green spaces, uh, in those places where our lives and our spirituality, our walk with Jesus, meet with the rest of the world, and we get to share the love of Christ. So, growing greener. Uh, unless you're, you are listening online, you already know we're talking about Saturday Night Fever. Um, we're looking at this passage from Luke 4, if you want to head there, and we'll be, uh, we'll be heading to verse 38. If you want to grab a Bible, there's some available down here if you want the classics. Otherwise, turn your phones on, and we're going to get into it. I'm just going to update, just bring you up to speed on where we're at with Jesus' life. It's been pretty hectic so far. In Luke's account, Jesus has been led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, has launched into his ministry in the synagogue. Uh, where he grew up, after which all the people in there took him to a hill to kill him. So if you feel like your first sermon ever went really badly, take courage. A little encouragement there. Uh, Jesus then moves to what will become a bit of a base for his ongoing ministry. We're going to have a little map here. He moves down to Capernaum, a place where he uh, ministered from a lot. Uh, he's moved down from Nazareth. You can see it there. He's traveled a couple of days' walk from Nazareth and ends up speaking again at the on the Sabbath, and the people are amazed, amazed at what he says. He encounters a demon-possessed man in their synagogue and casts him out. If you haven't learned anything so far, it's that church can be messy. We know that already, don't we? Church can be a messy place. So Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit, and the people are amazed. They're amazed that Jesus speaks with authority. Even before he rebukes the unclean spirit, he's amazed at the way that he speaks these messages, these truths about God and God's love and the kingdom. They're amazed at the way that he speaks. And then they're amazed, not just at his authority, but also the power. He has power. I want you to notice two things about that. Can you hold up a number one for me? Just hold that there. Firstly, and this is perhaps most obvious, Jesus was incredible. Jesus was incredible. He made sense of the world like no one else when he spoke. He was incredible. He didn't just know a lot. He wasn't just really schooled in the scriptures. He was authorized to speak. He had a relationship, a connection with Father God that was incredible. How often have you found yourselves in conversation with someone uh, about something that you know a lot about and you're really fascinated about? Maybe it's uh, a friend that they don't know and you're just trying to explain it all and you're like, they're not getting it. Or it's football, you're chatting away about football to your spouse, I'm not going to say which one, it could be. Or fishing, or financial markets, and you're really engaged and excited, and you realize you're enjoying this conversation much more than anyone else would. You're enjoying what you know, because it feels good to you, and you're excited about it. Jesus never had a moment like that. 
He had moments where people didn't like what he said, but he never had a moment where he got lost in his own story for his sake. He had authority because he was living what he was speaking, but also because he'd been sent from the Father. He was living it, and it was infectious. But he also had power. This is still point number one. He, how many of those people in the synagogue had been disturbed or mildly offended by this demon-possessed man before, regularly turning up? Oh, he's off again. Turn it down, Kevin. I reckon he was probably called Kevin. <clears throat> no offense to anyone who's called Kevin, by the way. Just, just in this situation. But Kevin just carries on disrupting things and bringing confusion to their gatherings. People would mutter, stupid Kevin, and bemoan the fact that nothing ever got done in their gatherings and no one really understood anything and it was always confusing and these meetings got hijacked. But they were, their words didn't make a difference because they were stuck. They didn't have power. Jesus comes and with one command, Kevin is back to life. This gathering is back to life. He's speaking whole and free. He's not some frame of himself sitting in the way of what God wants to do. Jesus was incredible. First thing that I want you to notice as we head into this passage. But secondly, and perhaps less obvious to us who aren't living in this first century Judean society, the religious leadership at that time were stuck. They were stuck. They were devoted, possibly at times desperate, but they were disconnected. We could too easily write them off as going, oh, they were just religious and into the... These are people who were devoted. They had a level of devotion. They spent time in the synagogue, time in the temple. There was a devotion. There might even have been a desperation, struggling under Roman rule, struggling to, to, for waiting for this Messiah. There's a desperation, and yet they're disconnected from the Father. For the most part, they were duty-bound and determined, but spiritually speaking, they were dead. People, it was pretty grim. It's pretty grim when the place where, that's supposed to be the hope, where God lives, where God breathes, where God's spoken of, where, where faith rises, was a place of disconnection and numbness. Jesus describes some of them as whitewashed tombs in Matthew 23. He called them out as being full of hypocrisy and wickedness. But obviously that's far from our gatherings in 21st century Western society. Or is it that obvious? I'm really stirred. I wonder if this is me. Is this me? Am I seeing the power that I really think this world around us needs? If I love the community around us, am I seeing myself? Walk in power. Are we seeing God moving in power in our gatherings and more importantly, away from our gatherings in our communities, in our front lines? So the people, that those who you and I might bump into week in, week out if we were living at that, that time, those people were actually just heavied by religion. They were used to looking for hope, looking for answers and coming up against a religious regime that had lost hope and had lost love. As Tim was mentioning earlier, maybe they were short of breath. I wonder if we're short of breath this morning. So, at that time, I want us to just grab hold of this. Jesus was good news in a time of bad pews. That's, that's what I want you to hold on to. He was good news at a time of bad pews. I thought of that one this morning. Oh, thank you, Lord. Um... I really don't want us to be bad pews. So something 
has to shift. Let's look at this passage. It's going to be on the screen if you want to read along. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. We'll come back to the, to the rest of that passage shortly. So, Kevin has gone home from his Sabbath dinner feeling more like himself than he has ever for a long time. Much more present with his family. The others in the synagogue have also gone to their homes telling the people they bump into about a man from Nazareth who just rocked the place. And Jesus heads back to Peter's house. So, synagogue, then Sabbath lunch back at Simon's, anyone? He, he's, Jesus has only just called the disciples. This is pretty new in their relationship. Anyway, they find themselves tackling what I think should have had the subheading Saturday night fever. Worried about this fever that was gripping them on the Sabbath. Everyone's back at Simon's and his mother is ill. They've seen him miracle fish out of the sea and they figure maybe he could miracle a mother-in-law out of bed. Now, I have to be careful at this point because my mother-in-law is actually here, so I need to watch what I say. There'll be no, none of the usual jokes. But I am curious as to what's... <laughs> not that there's usually jokes. What are you talking about? We'll edit that bit out. I'm curious as to what's actually going on here. Have you ever arranged to have people over and not communicated well with your spouse? nudges. Who's coming over? Are you serious? Now remember, this isn't 21st century Britain we're talking about here. I alluded to it earlier. This is patriarchal society with women waiting on men in that tradition, and hospitality had a significant dynamic of honor about it. So you can imagine Peter's wife is freaking out that he's brought a whole bunch of his pals back from the synagogue when he knows full well that, his mother, that her mother isn't well. This is not a great situation. Talk about a clangor. And it's this Jesus character from Nazareth, so add that weight to it. What? So it's either Peter rolls up his sleeves or mother-in-law gets healed. Um, it's, there's, there's some shame associated in that culture for, for her. We can't just laugh that away as, oh, that's a bit awkward. He heals her and she gets up straight away. There's a joy in serving. There's a joy. There's a desire to host and to be able to host Jesus. Well, that's exciting. You don't want to be held back from that. It's a very different society. Cass and I lived in Malawi for um, a year. Some of you will know that. Uh, and actually, there was a whole bunch of Malawians who thought Karis had bewitched me because of the amount of washing up I'd do or the, the clothes I'd be hanging out. They thought she'd put some spell on me. And it's true, she did. <laughs> she did. And she does. <laughs> I'm avoiding some pitfalls on my birthday here. Let's get to the point. Jesus heals Peter's mother, and she's able to join in with this precious gathering. Fever has nothing on Jesus. Jesus healed everyone who was brought to him, is what we discover. Can I ask, are you seeing that in your life? Are you seeing the power of God at work in your life? And that may well be a yes. I'm really comfortable with that being a yes for, for some of you. But I feel a bit challenged. I feel a bit stuck. I feel a bit actually underqualified to even be speaking about this. I can talk with, with a level of authority on hospitality and connecting with people and engagement, but I feel embarrassed, to be honest, when it comes to pursuing healing, pursuing healing in people's lives. 
I know Jesus can do miraculous healing. I've seen, in fact, my mother-in-law in a wheelchair with a broken leg healed at a conference out of her wheelchair. I've seen Karis had a hole in her eardrum uh, healed in a hotel room. A guy who came to King's Table last year had a shoulder problem. I asked him if we could pray for it. He doesn't have a faith. Uh, we prayed for it. We laid hands on, and he started to swear because he was, felt such power going through his shoulder, and it was healed. It was a great reaction, very strange. Um, <clears throat> but I find myself feeling like I have more in common with the teachers of the law and the religious leaders of, Ju- of Jesus' day. A bit short of breath, a bit wishing there was more, a bit caught in between people or situations or circumstances that I love, and then a God I know who can do stuff, a God who I know is powerful. And I, want to, I want to challenge us today about loving people powerfully. Loving people powerfully. Because we can talk about growing greener, and we want to, going into places where we get to connect with people who don't know the love of Jesus. But that can't just be conversations. That can't just be about you being a Christian who's also cool and really loves them. We need, this, this world needs the power of God. You know it. You know it in the lives around you. This world needs transformation, transforming power. But we can't just be about all pursuing power if we don't love people. That's just a clanging symbol. It's just a clanging symbol. It's just a noisy racket. Trying to pursue some power for our own benefit or because it's, it feels good. It's got to be love and power. Bill Johnson says this, when the high point of Christian celebration is the fact that we have done something that is humanly possible, something that we could do without God, no matter how noble it is, then we are at a real low point in Christian manifestation and demonstration. Our assignment is to invade the impossible, those things that cannot be accomplished without God. Amen? But hang on a minute. If anyone is ill in, in, in our society, there isn't the expectation that you would take them to a priest, as in Jesus' day. This is different. The priests were the medical professionals in the Old Testament. Read through Leviticus. It actually reads like a medical journal. It does. Dennis, from next door to you, if you have a Dennis next door. I don't know why they're all men with strange names. If he has a fever, he's not going to come knocking on your door. He's probably going to take some drugs, and maybe if it gets worse, he's going to go to a GP. And maybe that's okay. Jesus didn't go after people offering them healing. It was people that brought them to Jesus. There was, a, there was something about Jesus seeing transformation. Let's read on in this passage and figure out whether there's an expectation on us today to be living the same. From verse 40. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of illness, not just fevers, and laying his hands on each one. He healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. So, Jesus isn't here on a a mission to make everyone Christians like we might think of it today. He doesn't want them to know he's the Messiah at this point, but he is willing that they would be healed. He's got a love and his compassion. His priority is actually the message behind the miracles. There's a message behind the miracles of a God who loves, a God who's bigger than that situation, and a God who wants to be at work and wants a relationship. The people wait until sunset, by the way, because it's the Sabbath. A priest couldn't heal someone on the Sabbath. That would be working their, their eyes, of, the eyes of the religious leaders. Again, perhaps a 
alluding to this, the traditions that have, have grown around them. I wonder what you're surrounded with today. Maybe we're not worried about Saturday night fever. Maybe it's Saturday night men mental anguish. Maybe it's Saturday night depression. Maybe it's Saturday night self-harm. Where is the Holy Spirit stirring you? Where are you carrying the love and power of God to transform? Do you stand in a school environment hearing another instance of a human being struggling to process deep pain that they're harming, that they're harming themselves? The UK has the highest self-harm rate of any country in Europe. Are you serious? This is in our day, in our town, in our homes, that people are self-harming. People are cutting themselves, hurting themselves, abusing their bodies in all sorts of different ways because they are so numb by pain or for all sorts of different reasons that I'm not going to try and articulate really well in this moment, but it's happening. It's not Saturday night fever, but it's a big problem and we need a God who is powerful. Oh wait, we have one. We have a God who loves us. We have a God of love, a God who knows the soul of every human being in Cheltenham and Gloucester and in the Cotswolds all the way around this nation. He knows what we need. Stress, anxiety, and depression now make up 43% of all workplace illness. And work-related stress and mental illness now accounts for over half of work absences. Our country is crippling by it. It's being crippled by it. By mental illness, by a lack of care for soul, that absence of Jesus. I wonder if the ministry of Jesus Christ in 21st century Britain is limited by a lack of compassion and power. I heard a testimony um, just recently from our youth team. There's a girl at, at youth who's been struggling with mental illness for a long time. She's been having counseling for about five years. Went to Soul Survivor last year. She's in the presence of God, and it was a, there was some powerful encounter. And she said her mental health felt different in two days at being in the presence of God than it had all the other years of counseling. Now, I'm not saying we don't need counseling, but I'm saying we need the presence of God as well. We need the, there's a power in what God can do, the difference that he can make that sets people free. People saw that girl physically different. Her complexion was different. Healed in the presence of God. Let's move on to 42. Verse 42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. At daybreak. Mike, what, was, what time was daybreak then? No, then, back then. Back in Jesus' time. When it got light, thank you. <laughs> so helpful. Thanks, thanks, Mike. All right, let's read the passage a bit more. <laughs> it was early. The pe By the way, you can go up. Mike takes tours out to Israel. They are, they're worth going to. The people were, <laughs> the people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So Jesus is on a mission. He wants to communicate 
about God the Father, about the kingdom of God breaking in. He's not just going to stay in one place. He's, got, he's, he's on a mission. He's got stuff that he knows he needs to do. Now, we've covered this lots uh, in, in other sermons, other messages, but we, we can't miss this in this moment. How many of us want to walk in power, want to see the lives of people around us transformed and changed, but don't want to get up early? We might as well put our hands up. Thanks, Luke. <laughs> Jesus said that anyone wanted to follow him had to take up their cross daily. Herein lies the key to perhaps why we aren't seeing the supernatural power of God as much in our community. It's not a God problem. He's powerful. He's good. He can do it. I don't know if we are filled with love enough and unaware of how to work in God's power enough. I don't know if we are. It's not good enough just that we know God's power. The religious leaders back then knew what God had done. They had stories of how God was powerful, but they weren't walking in the power. And I don't think it's just about us waiting and hoping that God's some t- at point going to move in power amongst us and then we can go out. We've got to learn to steward the power of God. And it does, we don't have to figure it out in here so then we can go out there. The power is for out there. Not just. But, but we can't just have it stuck in here. So Jesus moves on to communicate more about the kingdom of God. Speaking to the people as they gather about who God is. His love and his movement to the lost. I wonder. I wonder whether we need to be stirred more. For the people. For the brokenness that I've mentioned. I wonder if that's what this morning is for you, just being reminded of, oh, hang on a minute. Why have I stopped being offended by this? Why is this happening in our town? Why is that this happening in my family? Why is this happening in my body? Why is this holding me back from the kingdom pursuits that God wants me to be up to? So maybe God's going to put a holy fire in your heart this morning. But maybe you want to make a decision that you are going to be from that place of love that you are going to feel really uncomfortable about what's not happening in your ministry, on your front lines. Because I feel it. And it's hard. I was up this morning at half three, praying vehemently for a move of God. Except it was praying that my daughter would go back to sleep. I was like, Jesus, please. We had a rough night all night. Daughter waking up, not settling, and disturbing us. Uh, Karis is heavily pregnant. She looks beautiful, I know. But she can be tired in the middle of the night. And I was tired, and we're both. I'm like, God, come on, please. Can you just help her to sleep? And straight away, she cries again. (laughs) And so I bring that level of faith to my Sunday morning. And I meet someone who needs healing or needs the hand of God to move powerfully. I'm like, well, he didn't even... Didn't even keep my daughter asleep in the night. What can God do? <clears throat> I, I kind of want to say that there's some. Sometimes we get caught up in praying for the miraculous of God in the stuff that actually, it's our agenda stuff. It's some of our agenda. It's the stuff that we want. It's so that we don't have to carry a cross. It's so that we have an easier life. I think maybe God's power is waiting for you out there in some broken, dark places. And maybe we need to get a broken heart 
we need to ask God to stir us for more than a better night's sleep. It's a great passage in Isaiah 58 talking about all this Christian celebrations, all these gatherings, all this stuff that people were doing, trying to be right before God, and yet they weren't concerned for the broken around them. And then as people turn and get concerned, it's like, then your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will appear like the dawn. If we're going to pray and hope for miracles and push into God, it's got to be on his agenda. It's got to be for his kingdom, not for ours. There's so much that we could touch on. There's so much that we, there's so much nuance around that. But I think what I want to leave us with is I want us to be people who love people powerfully. So if you know that you need to love people more, that there's darkness going on in people's lives and you haven't got a love enough, then I'd love for you to come forward for prayer. And if you know that you're, you're in a place where you love so much and yet you're not seeing the work of God, you're not seeing the hand of God move, then I want you to come forward for, for prayer. I want, us, I want us to be stirred. How can we grow in compassion? Just, just to highlight, if you haven't read this book, really recommend it, Miracle Works, some really, really down-to-earth stuff. Down-to-earth, real practical advice. Jordan's saying, he's speaking at New Wine Week 1. Really, really helpful on, on how to increase in awareness of the power of God and ministering in the power of God. Read it if, you, if you're feeling stirred. Maybe you want to reread some stats about the brokenness of our world, but here's what we need to do. We need to get up early with God. Find that space. If Jesus needed it, we need it. So one, be with God. Two, ask God. Three, obey God. Be with God. Ask God and obey God when it comes to saying, God, I want more. I want more. I want to see the transforming power of God as we move around our neighborhoods, as we connect more over summer with people who are in broken places and see your lives and hearts transformed. Amen? Would you stand if you're able to? So we're going to pray in a moment. I hope you're feeling stirred. Don't, don't just go out and hang out with people this summer like the leaders at the synagogue. Take a mountain-moving, eye-opening, demon-curing Jesus of love with you. That's my encouragement. So should we pray?